In your Bibles, in the book of Matthew, the third chapter, also in the book of Luke, the third chapter, in the book of Mark, the first chapter, you will find the account of the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew, I think it's around the 13th verse, and Luke, somewhere around the 23rd, somewhere thereabout. But what I want to do is I want to kind of draw a correlation between the idea of mercy and the idea of grace. Oftentimes, we will use those two terms interchangeably, and we'll speak of grace as having to do with forgiveness and things of that nature, and that is true. But grace is a lot more broad than that. Mercy is more focused on the idea of forgiveness and dealing with the idea of how we treat people, particularly those people who are going through struggles, who are going through hard times, um, but whose heart is right with the Lord. They're just going through a difficult patch in their life. And sometimes mercy suggests that we treat each other in a way that correlates to the scripture that says, let the strong bear the infirmities of the weak. And what I found is when we choose to be merciful, then the grace that God wants to lavish upon us becomes more accessible. In a sense, we become more open to God's grace when we become more open to being merciful and forgiving toward one another. Now, if you remind yourself about the baptism of John, it was a baptism unto repentance. That means everybody that came to the baptism came acknowledging their sin, acknowledging their need. And anybody who didn't come that way, John kind of checked them and said, hey, no, you want to take this seriously. He says to any person who came that this is a baptism of brokenness, of repentance, of acknowledgement of sin, acknowledgement of failure. Now, you have to understand, these are people who not only were servants of Yahweh before they heard the word of John, but when John began to talk to them about the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and about the one who would come after him who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, when John began to preach Jesus, then these people who had already been God's covenant people in the old covenant now began to embrace the message, the gospel message pertaining to Jesus Christ. So what I'm suggesting is these penitent people, these broken people, these people who are acknowledging their sin were also people who acknowledged Jesus Christ. Also people who had followed the word that John preached. In other words, these were in that particular time frame, right? This is before the cross, before the resurrection of Christ, before the outpouring of the Spirit. But we can at least say these were the people of God who believed in Jesus, even though they hadn't met him yet. They believed in the message about him, that he was coming after John. And John said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloosen the latchets of his sandals. This Jesus, they already believed in. And at the same time, they were acknowledging that they needed help, that they needed 
cleansing. They needed refreshing. They needed somebody to help them through the, excuse me, their struggles. Now consider this. Every one of us, because we are a part of a body, will at some point or another either have to acknowledge that we are going through a struggle or we will have to be there for someone else who is going through a struggle. And basically what you see happening with Jesus. Now remember, the Bible says Jesus went down to be baptized. It was a baptism unto repentance. But Jesus had nothing to repent of. When John saw him coming, John said, I have need to be baptized of you. And are you coming to me? Jesus had committed no sin. And yet he chose to identify with the broken soul. He chose to identify with the needs of the needy. He chose to identify with the penitent spirit. He, in essence, opened his heart and immersed himself in the brokenness of the broken. And it's the same picture of you or me saying, hey, I might not be going through the same struggle that my brother or my sister is going through, but I choose to immerse myself in their need. That is, I don't avoid them when I see them coming. I don't gossip about them when I see their struggle, but I pray for them. I believe for them. I fast with them. I listen to them. And I allow myself to be immersed, to grieve with those who grieve, to, to be immersed, to, to be touched, as it were, with the feelings of their infirmities, as our Lord does with us all. And as a result, as a result of me choosing to show mercy, and you know there are many other ways to deal with the struggles of our brothers and sisters. We can just as easily turn our back on them, just as easily say, ah, there's proof that that person was never really saved anyway. Or there's proof that that person was never really serious anyway. Or we can decide that we have a responsibility to allow ourselves to be immersed in their repentance. And that's what Jesus did. He allowed himself to be baptized in the same waters as all of those who were coming to have their sins washed away, to, to have their sins cleansed. He said, I'm going to get into this water with you. It's the same as you and me saying, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to believe with you. I, instead of murmuring against you, I'm going to stand beside you. And I'm not going to allow anything to make me ashamed of you. You are my brother. You are my sister. And you are not going to go through this alone. Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for all of us. And that's what he asks us to do for one another. Remember when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, if I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher, then the same thing that you see me do, that's what I want you to do. And so Jesus came, he identified with the needs of the needy, and as a result, we see a manifestation of grace in the life of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus is Jesus, right? But he still does things to show us an example. 
And he says, in essence, you know, you will do even greater things than the things that he did. And it doesn't mean that our miracles and signs and wonders are going to be more powerful than him. But because there are more of us, we're going to have more of an impact. It's still by the same spirit. It's still by the power and presence of Jesus, not by any strength of our own. But Jesus will manifest certain things for us so that we can understand what's in store for us if we walk according to his example. So now we see Jesus showing mercy when he didn't have to. John was trying to stop him and to say, no, you don't need to do this. But Jesus said, no, it does behoove us or it is fitting that we should fulfill all righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is if righteousness, the righteousness that we have by the gift of God, if that's going to have its fullness, then we have got to be the kind of people who get down into the waters with our brother and our sister when they're going through difficult times. And so Jesus does that. And as a result of his mercy, there is this glorious manifestation of grace. For instance, the Bible says that when Jesus is immersed, when he's baptized among the people, among those who are repentant, among those who are broken, among those who are needy, among those who acknowledge their fault and their frailty, the Bible says that when he is immersed, that immediately he is lifted up he immediately he comes forth from the water. And if you look at the language, it doesn't mean that he simply just kind of got up and began to walk out of the Jordan. But it seems that he's more given a buoyancy, a supernatural buoyancy, lifted up out of the waters. And that is particularly an example for you and for me. That is to say, when we choose to immerse ourselves in the needs of others, God gives us a spiritual buoyancy. He lifts us up in ways that we could never experience if we did not choose to be merciful. It's a kind of grace that comes only as a result of mercy. The more you and I choose to care for one another and to lift each other up in prayer and to stand beside each other, the more we have a spiritual buoyancy. That is to say, the more we can, as it were, walk above the problems of this life. The more we can be lifted above the things that would ordinarily drag us down. As we begin to give, as we begin to share, as we begin to help, we would think that if I choose to immerse myself in the problems of my brother or my sister, why that's just going to bring me down and that's going to bring me to places of depression and despondency. The more I hear people's problems, the deeper it's going to cause me to sink, but quite the contrary. The reality of it is, is when we open ourselves to the needs of others, God has this wonderful way of lifting us up so that even our own problems seem like small things by comparison. All of a sudden, we realize that because I chose to get involved, because I chose to be patient, because I chose to be merciful, all of a sudden it seems like I'm walking on air. It feels like I'm lifted up into places that I could never have gone before. And then the Bible also says that as Jesus began to pray, the heavens were open. 
And I believe that when we choose to be merciful to one another, when we choose to be there for one another, when we choose to be immersed in the situations of our brothers and our sisters, and church is not simply about what can I get and how can I somehow fulfill my own desires and my own needs as they do oftentimes on some of these church TV programs. When church is real and people are truly caring for each other, then all of a sudden there is a voice of prayer that comes. If you've ever wondered well, God, I, I want to pray, but I, I can't seem to, to get the prayer. Well, reach out and help somebody. Reach out and be there for somebody. And all of a sudden, you're going to find that the wellspring of prayer just begins to bubble up. And you are in a situation where your prayers are as free and as light and as eloquent and as, as it were, the, the kavod, the glory of God, so immerses himself in your prayers that you're praying in ways that you never thought possible. And it's not because you've memorized this prayer or that prayer or the other prayer. It's because you're praying for somebody. Because you are believing for someone. And it begins to infect your own life, if you will. And all of a sudden, you're just praying and believing. And wonderful things happen. And one of the wonderful things that happens is there is an open heaven. There is a beatific vision. There is a glory of God that you can see. And when you see this glory of God, it offsets everything else that you see in this generation. It offsets all of the horrors, all of the difficulties, all of the mayhem that we see in our generation because you see God's glory. It's the same as Isaiah when he was in a situation where, you know, at one point, you know, King Uzziah dies. So this righteous king dies. And at the same time, uh, Sennacherib is trying to come into Israel and to Judah to destroy their land. And so he sees one good king die and he sees another evil king raised up. And, and ultimately, in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, he's brought into the throne room of God and he sees the great king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of a sudden it brings everything into perspective. And when you and I choose to be merciful, when we choose to be kind, when we choose to be loving, and again, that is an act of grace. So it's an act of grace that leads to mercy and mercy that leads to greater acts of grace. That's why the Bible says of his fullness, we have received one grace upon another grace. So God gives us the grace to be merciful. We take that grace to heart and we choose to be merciful. And as a result of being merciful, all kinds of wonderful expressions of grace will follow. So now all of a sudden there is this glorious vision and we see everything the way it's supposed to be seen. We're like that servant of Elisha, who uh, was struggling for a minute or two because he saw all the armies of the enemy. And then Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, he sees. When you and I choose to be merciful, we see. See beyond the news programs. We see beyond all the pain and the anguish. We see beyond our own needs. And we begin to see God. This is something that comes directly as a result of choosing to be immersed in the needs of the needy. 
And then the Bible says that this, as the heavens are opened, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in bodily form. A manifest presence of God. There is something about the manifest presence of God that makes it so no matter how a person chooses to oppose the faith that we love and that we embrace. No matter how they try to say that there is no hope and there is no God. They cannot deny what God is doing in our lives. They cannot deny the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. It is a manifest presence that says to the world that what Jesus did is real. We just got through singing that he's alive. And the proof that he's alive is that we're alive. The proof that he's alive is that the Holy Spirit is with us. And the Bible says that in Jesus' case, the Holy Spirit came upon him in bodily form. Now, understand, of course, for Jesus, the Spirit is not given in any measure. He has the infinite power and presence of the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is given to us in measure. But that measure is still clearly discernible, clearly demonstrable. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows it. I don't care if they tell you they can't see it. I don't care if they tell you they don't know it. No one can look at a Christian person without seeing the power and the presence of the Spirit. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let them try and deceive you. There is something about the Christian man or woman, particularly that Christian who chooses to be there for those who are broken, chooses to forgive that chooses to say, I'm not going to hold on to any grudges. That chooses to say, no matter how I've been hurt, no matter how I've been burnt, I am not going to allow this thing to cause me to sink to the depths of whatever happened to me or whatever was done to me. I'm not going to live in those depths. But I will receive the buoyancy of the Spirit. And I will be lifted up as surely as we hope for a full resurrection of the body, we recognize that on this side of eternity, we can be lifted up from the depths of unforgiveness. We can be lifted up from the shame of holding on to anger. And we can decide that we are going to be a merciful people. And when we do all of those things that we had been hoping for and believing for on this side of eternity, that is to say an open heaven, a strong prayer life, a buoyancy in this generation, a sense of the manifest presence of the Spirit, all of those things are right there in front of us. All of those things are always at our disposable, at our disposal. All of those things are always at our fingertips. It's just a matter of whether or not we are going to exercise mercy. Because grace is dependent upon mercy. It's firstly dependent upon the mercy of God. Because if God had not chosen to be merciful, then there would be no grace for us. But if God's grace is going to flow through us, then we have got to be conduits of that grace. In other words, we can't stop 
the channels of grace and expect God to continue to pour more grace into us. The grace that comes to us must also flow through us. Otherwise, God has got to stop pouring it in because we're, it's, just, it's just there. And it's like pouring new wine into old bottles. So now we decide that we're going to live this new life that God has given us. That we're going to forgive. We're going to show mercy. We're going to show kindness. And all of a sudden, the manifest presence of God becomes more and more and more evident. Why? Jesus said, you know, that we ought to be as the Father is. Be ye perfect as your Father is perfect. Well, basically, that doesn't mean look at how God is and then emulate that. It says, but as God is perfect, be perfect. And that simply means that whatever we are, we are because God is but God is. In other words, I can honestly say along with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. Or we can say, you know, I am what I am because I am, that I am, is who he is. (laughs) In other words, everything begins and ends with God. He is the beginning and the ending, the author and the finisher, the alpha and omega, and so on and so forth. We know that grace begins with him, and he gives us a certain amount of grace, and he says, now show me what you're going to do with that. Now we can either act like Achan and kind of dig it into the ground and hide it, right? Or we can say, What you've given me, I want to share with my brother, with my sister. That's how I can know that I'm engaging the fullness of righteousness. Because the fullness of righteousness doesn't just say that God has made me righteous, but God has given me the capacity to act righteously toward my brother and toward my sister. One time the Lord spoke to me one day and he says, how do you know that you understand the reality of the cross and what the cross has done for you. And I said, I, I really don't know. I, I think I understand. But, and God made it very clear. It was simply, when you know for your brother, your sister, the same thing that you know for yourself. In other words, if you apply all of the glory and all of the goodness and all of the grace and all of the mercy of the cross to your brother or your sister, the same way you allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to your heart, if you allow him to apply it to their situation, especially when they sin against you, and to remind yourself that Jesus died for them just like he died for you, and that Jesus loves them just like he loves you, and that Jesus wants you to express the goodness of his own heart toward them, then you understand the nature of the cross. And so Jesus said, it behooves us, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Basically what you hear him saying is, this is what mature righteousness, what full righteousness looks like. That's why the Lord said that he had come that we might have life and that we might have full life. And the fullness of life begins to pour outward. We say along with David, my cup runneth over. When I have the fullness of life, I have enough life for me and for you. That's basically what the, the scriptures is trying to tell us. And so all of a sudden, there is this manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that the Father speaks out on behalf of Christ. And it's the same thing that Christ wants for us. 
He said, there'll come a time when you won't simply come to me and say, would you speak to the Father for me? He said, the Father loves you himself. And so there comes a time when you and I will hear the voice of the Father. But to hear the voice of the Father, we've got to be in a place where we are allowing his grace to make us a merciful people. And you and I can't be merciful in our own strength. We can't clench our fists and grit our teeth and say, I'm going to forgive this person no matter how much they've hurt me. We can't do that. But if we receive the grace of God to do it, then we can find ourselves forgiving people that we never thought we could forgive. Or we can find ourselves showing mercy to people who never thought they'd find a compassionate ear or a shoulder to actually lean upon. You know, you have people in any church setting, even one like this where God is so clearly present, who feel like there's no one that they can talk to. And the enemy has them isolated because they're afraid they're not going to find a compassionate ear. Now, they're wrong, of course. But sometimes we have got to reach out. We can't always wait for people to come to us. Jesus went down to the Jordan and he immersed himself in that situation. So now all of a sudden, the voice of the Father is speaking over him. And in one of the Gospels, it says that he's speaking outward about Jesus. And in another, it says that he's speaking to Jesus, but it's still in the presence of all the people. And I think it's because both things happened. He's saying to everybody in earshot, and all of these people now, you've got to remind yourself, are people broken and penitent. And he's saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When you and I choose to be merciful, then God begins to point us out to the broken and to the penitent. He begins to point us out to the needy, to those who have failed. And he said, you can trust this person over here. This is my son. This is my daughter. You can go to them and you can tell them. And they're not going to speak it to everybody that comes into earshot. They're not going to gossip about you. They See, this person is somebody that I trust. It's the same as God saying, I trust this person with your life. You can go to that person. They're not going to hurt you. They're not going to burn you. They're not going to look down on you. They're not going to cast you out. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's what God says about the person who chooses to be there for other people. All of a sudden, you see this clarity, not only for that person who's looking for somebody to talk to, but it's a clarity for us as well, where God is saying to us, you are my son. You are my daughter. In you, I am well pleased. All of a sudden, we see a God who is merciful, a God who is kind, a God who is loving, a God who is pleased, a God who smiles. Why? Because we won't allow ourselves to see a scowling, angry God that wants to nitpick and judge everybody around. You understand when people 
gossip and when they murmur and when they judge unfairly, they tend to ascribe that attitude to God. And they say, well, I'm doing that because that's the way God is. No, that's not the way God is. Doesn't mean that God doesn't reserve the right to bring correction. But bringing correction and gossiping behind somebody's back is not the same thing. And so God can say about us that you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased. And all of a sudden we begin to recognize that we are fully accepted in the beloved and that the God that we serve is a God who's pleased. And when you and I believe that about our own situation, then we perpetuate that outward. And that's the kind of God that we present to other people. It's the kind of God we present to one another. It's the kind of God that we express when we take each other by the hand and bless each other in the name of the Lord, even if we know that this person or that person is going through a personal struggle right now. It doesn't mean that we don't do what we can, like I said, when it's appropriate to bring a word of instruction or correction. But like I mentioned, that's different than backbiting, murmuring, gossiping, showing no mercy, being of a critical spirit and things of that nature. No, we choose to allow the freedom, the liberty, the mercy, the kindness, the love of God to flow through us. And then all of a sudden, not only do we know that God is pleased with us, but we are certain that we are the sons and daughters of God because we look like him. We act like him. We speak like him, just the way he created us. Let us create human persons in our own image and after our likeness. And then, you know, the last thing I want to mention is from there, the spirit was able to lead Jesus into a place of trial and temptation. And remember what the temptation was all about. Ultimately, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. But you see, because Jesus did what he did, he heard God say to him directly, you are my son. When you and I choose to be merciful, we hear it over and over and over and over again. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my daughter. So that when we go through trial, praise the Lord, we know who we are. Nothing can shake us. How do we know who we are? Because we are acting in the spirit that God has bought for us on Calvary's tree. I know I'm a Christian because I act mercifully. I know I'm a Christian because I'm ready to lay my life down for the needs of my brothers and my sisters. Not because I have any strength in myself to do it, but because the spirit of God is with me. The spirit of God is with you. You evaluate who you are, by what the Bible tells you Jesus did for you. So now we have a prerogative. We can bond together as a family, making sure no one gets left behind. We can make sure that every person 
has somebody praying for them. I want it to be so that the same way Elisha's servant opened his eyes and saw all the heavenly hosts, I would love it so that every single Christian can open his eyes or her eyes and see all of God's people praying, believing, hoping, loving, caring, so that they know that they are not alone. No one in this room should feel like they're alone. No one in this room should feel like they have to fight any fight on their own. We are a family. And our responsibility is to one another, to look out for each other, to bless each other in the name of the Lord, to manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit on behalf of one another. So I want to remind you, the same way I'm reminding myself, that if we want to see miraculous expressions of grace, then it is as simple as showing kindness to one another. And if we choose to show kindness to one another, if we choose to love each other, if we choose to be there for one another, if we choose to defend one another against the lie of the enemy, if we cut gossip short, soon as it comes to us and say, I refuse to hear that, because that's my brother, that's my sister. Jesus died for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then we will see signs, wonders, miracles. We will see an open heaven, a manifest presence. We will receive a spiritual buoyancy. We will be certain that we are the sons and daughters of God. We will see the smile of God and hear his laughter. And it's as simple, as simple as being there for somebody. Take this opportunity. Make sure that you decide, and I'll say this in close, any gossip, any murmuring, anything like that stops when it comes to you. As soon as it comes to you, you stop it where it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, this church has always been a wonderful supernatural church. But we live in a day and in an age where we have got to be miraculous. We have got to manifest signs and wonders. We have got to see things happen on a supernatural level, unlike anything that we've experienced before. And the most wonderful thing about it is all it takes is for us to lean over to one another and to say, the Lord Jesus bless you. And I want you to know that you have a friend, somebody who will defend you, who will never allow you to be attacked. And once that's in place, Basically, the sky is the limit. So, grace that comes 
a grace that allows us to be merciful, then we receive that grace and we show mercy. And from that mercy, more grace, greater grace, wonderful grace. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together in the house of the Lord. I just want to pray with you. Every one of us has been given a deposit of grace. So we don't have to do anything in our own strength. Thank God for that. But there might be somebody in this room who's saying, I really want to see glorious things in this generation. I want to manifest God's glory. I want to see this world just inundated with the power and the presence of God. And I want to be a part of that. And if there's anything that's holding me back, anything that I'm still allowing to get into my soul, there's somebody who hurt me, somebody who burnt me. Or you might even say, I'm finding it difficult to forgive myself. I did something a while back and I just can't get over it. saying I want to I want to be absolutely immersed in the grace of God so that I can choose to immerse myself in the needs of others I, I need I need to forgive I need to forgive myself. I need to forgive somebody who burnt me, somebody who hurt me. Or I just need to be more vulnerable. See, sometimes you've been hurt and you find it very difficult to open yourself to somebody who's going through a difficult trial because sometimes those trials remind you of what you've already gone through and what you've gotten over to a certain degree. And you're like, I've been in those waters. I'm not going back. Sometimes we have to for the sake of other people. Sometimes the only person that can help that person over there is somebody who's gone through it. Somebody who knows what it is to be in those waters. I've been through things in my life and I said, when I get through this, I will never, ever revisit this. I will never think about it again. I will never, ever bring it back to my memory and then I began to realize there are people who are still where I used to be and they need somebody to go back hallelujah hallelujah and if God is speaking to you and you're saying Lord I, I, I need help to make myself vulnerable because I do want to make a difference then I'm going to ask you whether you're in the balcony on the ground floor, whether you're with us online. I'm just going to ask you to take this time and just come and ask God for help. The God who's asking you to be merciful is merciful. And he will be merciful to you and he will give you everything that you need to flow fully in your gifts. There are people that you can touch that nobody else can touch. 
Sometimes that means you have to make yourself vulnerable and you have to open yourself up to things that you said I would never even think about again as long as I live. But if you don't, then who will? People are already coming. You can begin to come. We'll wait for you. We're not in a hurry. This is your time. God is speaking to you. I know it. I know it. He's speaking to me. If I wasn't standing here, I'd be standing where you're standing right now. Because I want to see God glorified. And I know I can't do it if I allow myself to hold on to things that are no longer part of my life. I was talking to the Lord this morning. I mean, my goodness. I was remembering something that happened to me when I was 12 or 13. Some pain, some anguish, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm 52 years old. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going back there. I'm not going back there. But if I see somebody who is there, then I'm willing to go where they are and help them, even if that means I have to rehash old memories. You see what I mean? You have a call on your life. Please. Please. You got a certain amount of years on this side of eternity to help somebody. Right? And that's it. And when it's all said and done, you rejoice in the presence of the Lord forever. And wouldn't it be nice if on that side of eternity there's somebody there who says thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, you got one shot at this. One shot. Help somebody. It's the only way life matters. Otherwise, it's wake up in the morning, go to work, come back home, go to sleep. Wake up in the morning, go to work, come back home, go to sleep. Help some body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to the great and the holy God. Amen. You can keep on coming. God is so gracious, so wonderful, and we are his ambassadors, and we can be gracious to one another, merciful to one another, kind to one another. You know, we are the opposite, as it were, of Cain. When Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? We are our brothers and our sisters' keeper. We look out for each other. We defend each other. We do not let the devil lie about one another. We will not entertain his gossip about each other. We're going to look out for each other because we're in covenant relationship, you understand? We have a responsibility to each other. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. Glory of heaven, you are God to us. Your ways, though beyond finding out, have become our ways because we've become your people. 
and you've chosen to manifest your goodness in us and through us. You've changed us. You've made us a people of mercy and kindness and tenderness and compassion. We're no longer driven by insecurities. We no longer have to stand on someone else's neck in order to feel taller. But now we prostrate ourselves in your presence on behalf of our brother, on behalf of our sister, so that we might be lifted up and they along with us. Spirit of Jesus, we stand in awe of you. Now we acknowledge our covenant responsibility to one another. And we come against every lie of Satan. And when we see or sense or hear gossip making its way through the corridors of this community, we stand against it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And we say it stops here. We say this far and no farther. Now, God, I pray you lay your hand upon my brothers and my sisters. Oh, Jesus. Cause your glory to be so clearly manifest in us that even the most ardent atheist must acknowledge that God is with them. These are the people of God. They're not simply a religious sect. They are God's sons and daughters. We thank you for this, oh Jesus. And we bless you for it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.